Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Adam Dorsey, a psychologist in Silicon Valley and the host of Super Psyched, a podcast dedicated to supercharging your life. Each episode contains fun, high-quality interviews with experts looking at psychology from all angles. Super Psyched is your tool to get more of what you want in your life and less of what you don't. Imagine you are an athlete at the Olympics. You have trained for years and years. You have dreamed of this moment. Your entire country is watching you, cheering for you, even praying that you will win. There is a lot of pressure and so much riding on your performance. But you have trained for thousands of hours and everything rests on this moment. There is noise and energy coming from the audience. And because you are a fighter, your opponent wants to destroy you. How do you find your focus? It's one thing to talk about mindfulness and the power of therapy in everyday life, but putting these to the test in this scenario is an entirely different ballgame. Most of us will never experience what I just described, but my guest on this episode did just that. And as you'll hear, mindfulness therapy and, of course, spectacular amounts of practice and preparation made a big difference. Ori Sassone is a two-time bronze medalist at the Olympics where he competed on behalf of Israel. I would describe Ori as a gentle giant. Ori has explored his sensitivity and anxiety through therapy and has found ways to channel these qualities to greater strength inside and outside of judo competition. As you'll hear, Ori is generous in sharing his recipe for success. And sadly, as of this recording, rockets are flying over Israel. Ori and I were meant to meet four weeks ago, but he needed to cancel due to these rockets. And he nearly needed to cancel our interview today for the second time due to their persistent presence. In spite of these challenges and his Wi-Fi being down, he found a way to make it to the interview. Today, Ori uses the knowledge he gained from judo competition to assist company employees to find success. So listen in as Ori shares his secrets for success inside and outside the ring. Ori Sasson, a hearty welcome to Super Psyched. Hey, Oh my goodness. So we had to reschedule last time because of rockets coming over. And today we nearly had to reschedule again. And you are living in very unusual times, very scary times, tense times. And we're not going to be getting into that, but I just wanted to acknowledge that. And story that could, as you were telling me before, could only happen in Israel is to meet with me today, just to meet with me. You needed to knock on a neighbor's door and get on his Wi-Fi. So I just wanted to give a tip of a hat to that. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Wow. As you said, only in Israel. Tomorrow, I'm moving to a new apartment here in Tel Aviv. And I just turned off the Wi-Fi because I'm changing the location and everything. So I said, well, I have a Zoom call with Adam. What am I going to do? Okay. Lucky for me, I'm in Israel. I knocked the door of my neighbor, which I never said before. Um, You've never seen this neighbor before? Never seen him before. I mean, I saw him, but I never talked to him. I said, listen, need your Wi-Fi now. <laughs> Some people might be thinking, well, because you're a big Olympic athlete, this is only happening to you. But I would imagine this could happen to any ordinary person. Listen, that's the magic in Israel. 
you go in the street, you have any problem, immediately someone will help you. That's the beauty of the Israeli people. They are warm, they respectful, they are just lovable. And that's mm -hmm. the reason I'm feeling grateful to be Israeli, especially in this day. I can only imagine. Well, we are going to geek out a little bit more to your athleticism and your story of being a sensitive person, an anxious person, as well as a two-time Olympic medalist, which is absolutely unbelievable. Just for the listener at home, he is exceedingly tall. We are talking about something like 193 centimeters, which I guess in the U.S. would be like six foot five, 125 kilos, about 275 pounds. You're a giant and you're a gentle giant, except for five minutes when you have to get in the ring and your heartbeat goes up to about 200 BPM. <laughs> so let's talk about being a sensitive person, an anxious person, and somehow moving through that and finding a way to make decisions when your heartbeat is so high and the wow. pressure is too. Yeah, I can't lie. I'm a sensitive person. That's right. <laughs> uh, as a kid, I was sensitive. When you choose to be a judo player, you have to manage your feelings and to know how to focus on winning. And it's not easy at all. At the beginning, I was a very talented kid. I mean, I was fast. I was strong as a young judo player. But every time I met challenges, I couldn't face them because the anxiety came and I just couldn't face all the fears and all the pressure. And also the fact I'm sensitive make it more hard. And at some point, I had to find my way yeah. how to deal with those emotions. So I can talk a lot about it, but what you asked me, yeah, it's complicated, but I think if you have a lot of emotions and you're sensitive and you can use them, you can grow. Yeah. You can grow because if you're sensitive, you can imagine the life you want to have. You have the abilities to feel the dreams before they come through, like they're already here. So yeah, I had a lot of challenges, but feeling grateful for being sensitive because in life, it helps me a lot. Understanding people better. I know how to find my way in conversations. Also in the business life, it's helping me. Mm. But of course, in judo, it's something not easy. Is it called judoka? Yeah. Yeah, the average judoka probably is not super sensitive, <laughs> I'm guessing. But you were. And it sounds like could have been a weakness turned into a strength. Sometimes we say behind every strength is a weakness. Behind every weakness is a strength. And yeah. you, through your daydreaming, your imagination, and I'm guessing powering through your desire to quit at a very young age, were able to find strength within that sensitivity. Is that on point? What do you think about that? I'm not sure that I'm the only sensitive person in the judo world. I think there's a lot of sensitive uh, judo players, but most of them are hiding their emotions and <sighs> no, putting a mask because it's a world with a lot of ego. Yeah. You have to be strong. And if you're showing emotions, some people could think that you're maybe weak. But after the Tokyo Olympics, if, as for example, Simon Bells, she spoke about her emotions, her depression and anxieties. And people started to talk about it more and more. And also Michael Phelps. So it's getting changed, but still we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought up Simon Biles and Michael Phelps. And I believe in Naomi Osaka and various others have been very open about a very personal thing, as have you. And so what's very interesting that you're saying that many people have this, but they put on a tough face 
And it seems like you put on the tough face, but I think maybe the difference then was that you didn't pretend it wasn't there, that you worked through it as much as possible. I don't know. I'm taking a guess here. Yeah. So I think I found few ways how to overcome the fears and the emotions. First of all, I understood that I need balance. Balance means accept who you are, okay, and embrace your emotions. And on the same time, talking with the psychologist, being more aware to your uh, advantage and not only about your weakness. So the more I talked about it, the more I was aware to who I am, the better I become. And put it also the hard work, all the effort of training, it's around 12 to 13 trainings per week. So you practice a lot, a lot, a lot. And if you work hard, if you do the right things, if you have good treatments and you have good people surround you, you can make it. You can make it. Yeah. I had a lot of challenges, yeah. but my desire to become an Olympic medalist was stronger than everything. So I wanted to be successful for me. If I wouldn't success, I wouldn't have been an happy person at all. Like for me, it was biggest goal in my life. So I did everything I could in order to get there. So basically, everything was riding on the outcome. Here's what's so interesting to me about this, Ori. It's not like getting in touch with your emotions has historically had a very positive spin. A lot of people think, oh, it'll make you weak. But you leaned into it and saw a sports psychologist, a psychologist, psychologist, and really, really got to know yourself and became stronger from knowing who you were. That's what I'm kind of understanding. You're in some ways a pioneer. It seems like now people are beginning to understand that. But I'm thinking 10 years ago when you were really going for it, it probably wasn't all that common. Yes. And you know what? I had all the risks to think different, but I believe deeply inside of my heart that the fact you are sensitive, you can use it. For example, in Judah, the philosophy of Judah talking about finding the right balance to flip your opponent. And you can't do it if you're not sensitive enough because you need the power to bring the power from inside your body. So sometimes if you use too much power, you can find yourself on your back. You need to be in touch with your energy. You need to be in touch. For me, Judah is like a mirror. The way you compete, the way you fight, show exactly who you are. So I was lucky to practice in judo since I was nine years old. I was lucky because the judo shows me exactly who I am. For example, as a kid, after three minutes of a match, I used to give up because I thought that I'm not strong enough and I'm tired. And the judo teach me how to be more consistent and actually to be a winner, how to be a winner. This is something that I've learned from being a judo player. Well, as you were describing this, Ori, I suddenly was imagining yesterday I was watching the 49ers come from behind and somehow magically beat the Lions. And I was watching Christian McCaffrey, he's a running back for the Niners. And in the middle of all these men, he found a hole yeah. with all of that pressure, with high BPM. And I'm thinking about you in the ring similarly. High BPM, lots of pressure, needing to manage your energy just right and find the thing to help you win. You have to think so analytically and so fast that I'm just thinking about all of these energies converging, high BPM, lots of pressure, energy management, this whole game shows you who you are and you want to win so badly. You want to win so badly. And then you have to find that thing and use that thing 
and leverage your experience. I'm just thinking about all of these factors that it takes in that five-minute match. There's so much that's going on. But you know what, Adam? You spoke about what you saw. And most of the people, they just see the competition. They just see what they see in TV. But they don't think about, and that's fine, because they're the audience. <laughs> that's fine. They don't need to think too much. They just need to enjoy the moment. But the competition started before. Before the match. Before the match, yeah. <laughs> the way you practice, we practice a lot specific yeah. for these situations. My brain gets used to it. I know how to work in high pressure. In high pressure. I know if I'm not practicing it good enough, so I won't be able to make it. But I'm practicing a lot. And that's something that, of course, everyone needs to know. We work hard for this. About the other thing, during the fight, the thing that makes you in focus when you want to win, you will find a way how to deal with this pressure. And you can use the crowd to get more energy. For example, I used to compete a lot in Paris Grands. It's one of the most hardest tournaments in the Olympic cycle. And there's 20,000 of French people who watch you and they know your name. They know exactly what's your techniques because they love judo. Judo is very famous in France. And when I competed against French competitor, of course, they cheer him. But I told myself, no, they cheer me. <laughs> How do you do that? How do you fool yourself in that moment so that you, you actually find the triggers? You create your own story to win. Michael Jordan, he said that during games, he used to think that the other guy tell bad things about his mother, which is not true. He just lied to himself, but he become much more better when he thought about it. So everything is okay. If you want to win, think in everything. Bring anything you can. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm wondering about that. So let's get into before the match. Before the match, how do you prepare to get yourself in the zone so that you are ready to go? I love to do meditation. Everyone talks about the here and now. Yeah. And in judo, it's so important. Every Oof. kid that learned judo, before he starts to practice every lesson, he closes his eyes with the team for 35 seconds. And then it just about, and then he started the practice. So it's so smart, for my opinion. The judo come from Japan, and mm. they are very known as a meditation people, and they believe in know what I'm talking about. So I took this meditation ceremony from the judo trainings, and I use it during the competitions. So that's one thing I'm doing. The other thing I'm doing, I'm thinking about my family the moments before. I'm saying, wow, they watch me now. I can't lose. I can't lose. For example, the moments before the Olympic bronze medal contest, I knew that all my life going to change because Israel is a small country. And if you win a medal, your whole life going to change. Like you're going to be more <laughs> famous. You're going to have more money, not rich, but more money. <laughs> and I think that it's, again, about balance. You need to think about what you need to do now. Now I need to jump. Okay, now I need to breathe. Now I need to, my body line, to be positive. So everyone have their own routine before the match. And when you find your routine, it's a good sign because you can go to the match with confidence. So yeah. what's interesting is you're not telling me what the routine is itself, except for the meditation and the visualization, it sounds like. And I'm guessing that each person has to find their own pregame routine. That's right. By the way, in everything, in every aspect in life, before an important meeting, before a presentation, everything, 
And if you do a good preparation and if you have good balance, if you're motivated, you can make it. Yeah. So I happen to have it on high authority that you're also a singer and that you were on the masked singer playing the part of, I believe your costume was a very large falafel sandwich. Very large. Very large. <laughs> extra, extra large. And yeah. before singing, did you also have to kind of engage in the routine of beforehand? Because I imagine you had some butterflies, some anxiety. No anxieties at all. Only ah, fun. None. I have to say it's much more easy to sing behind a mask compared to fighting against Georgian fighter who's 170 kilograms. It's much more. Wait, 170 kilograms? Yeah. That's 374 pounds, folks. So you, as a tiny 275 pound man, had to fight against somebody who was 100 pounds more than you? Yeah. How do you even do that? That doesn't even make sense in my brain. There's only one answer. You know what's the meaning of judo? The gentle way. Yep. So you don't have to be aggressive or big or bad. You need to use the power of your opponent in order to throw him. So my coaches and I, when we realized that we can make it in the heavyweight, because I used to compete under 100 kilograms, and at some point I changed my quarter category weight and gained 25 kilograms because we figure out that that was my startup. You gave 55 pounds. Yes, because oh my God. the goal was to bring my abilities, the fact I was very fast, very athletic. So it helps at the heavyweight because in the heavyweight, they are huge. They're not athletic like me. So that was actually the biggest decision in my life. Because of this decision, I won the medal because two years before the Olympic Games, I changed my category weight and I was able to win them and to beat them because of the speed, because of the gentle way. That's so fascinating. I love that you actually even just went into the root of the meaning of the word judo and that it means the gentle way and that you actually subscribe to it and use yeah. that to your advantage. That's absolutely incredible. And just as a side note, what was one of the songs that you sang as a giant falafel sandwich? Wow. I sung seven years of once I was seven years old. <laughs> and also I will do anything for love. Oh, no but, kidding. Uh, yeah. And I went to the final. So it was very so nice. you did okay. I was okay. I mean, I love singing. I love playing guitar. I love playing piano. I'm taking now acting course now. It's about time. I hope that you get to be in something with Gal Gadot. The two of you together would be amazing. <laughs> two superheroes. So let's actually talk about that. So when you were in the midst of pursuing this medal and having so much writing internally, because you had expectations, and externally, because this tiny country was all behind you saying, please, 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 Ori, please win. No pressure, but please win. <laughs> Sounds like you play piano or into music. During your non-training hours, between actual fights, how did you restore? What were your techniques to really just unwind so that you could be more present when it came time to fight? What were some of the things that you did that were helpful between fights? Between fights, I was just prepared. During the trainings, like, I love my family. We are very connected. So we meet almost every day. We meet everyone. I meet them. So spending a lot of time with my family is great. We talk about balance. That's perfect for me. For me, this is the most important thing in life. Not judo, not success, family. And I realize it hmm. only now, after I won the medal. There's things that you can't understand before the fame, before the success. So the medal actually changed my mind. 
about happiness, to be honest. And of course, happiness is built also by being successful, but not only. You need to be grateful. You need to surround yourself with your good people. You need to have love. But I'm happy that I know it only now because I could focus on being successful. And I thought that winning the medal going to give me happiness for sure. It gave me happiness for like a few months. Yeah, I was happy. But you wake up a few months after and then say, okay, and now what? That's not the most important thing in life. You know, what I hear consistently from highly successful people who've won awards is they win the award that they were seeking. And then they finally realize, wow, I'm still just me. And there has to be something else. And I'm thinking about somebody you and I both like. He was a super psyched guest, psychologist, professor at Harvard, who had the most popular course in Harvard's history at the time, Tal Ben Shahar, the top squash player. And he was happy just for a little bit and then not happy. And all of the research and all of the anecdotes I've heard have been consistent with what you just said. I'm happy for a period, but it didn't solve everything. Exactly. By the way, I love Tal Ben Shahar. He's the best. And when I heard his podcast and read his books, of course, things got connected. I realized exactly what's going on. He helped me a lot to understand what is happiness about. So, yeah. If Tal hear me right now, I would love to meet him. Do you know what? It's very tricky because you can't realize what is happiness if you're not chasing after success. There's a paradox here. The success will not make you happy, but the chasing the success will make you happy. If you're smart enough to realize that. Damn. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So it's the quest that we found is that when we are pursuing something, there is more dopamine production, more of those feel-good hormones. I imagine, I have not seen this one, but I would imagine that our testosterone increases, that we are just like, let's go. We're on the quest. This is the journey. This is the hero's journey. We're on it. And it's less about the attainment of the goal. It's more about the pursuit. And I love what you just said. (laughs) The success itself will make you happy for a period, but it's the pursuit of the success that really makes you happy. Exactly. So let's talk about that. It's one thing to read about it in a book. It's another thing to hear about it from a guy who was at two Olympics and won a medal at each one. That's amazing. Wow. What a great statement. So many questions, Ori, and I'm positive we're going to have a cup of coffee or a beer or something together. But what is the vibe like at the Olympics? (laughs) You're walking down around the track and everybody's going nuts. So that's the opening ceremony. And then, of course, you're in the arena, full Game of Thrones, about to take somebody on who wants to kick your ass really hard. Can you tell us all about what's yeah. that like for a normal yeah. person to go to the Olympics? The Olympic Games is like the biggest event for every athlete, right? Every Olympic got to dream about this event. And when... I arrived to the Olympic Village. I was shocked. You see a lot of athletes, the best athletes in the whole world. At some point, I saw Bolt. Uh, you saw you Usain know, Bolt? Usain Bolt, yeah. And I said, wow. wow, I have to meet this guy. So I ran after him. <laughs> you ran after I, I catch him. And I told him, listen, I'm a big fan. Let's take a picture together. And then a few minutes after, I thought Michael Phelps. Yeah. And Djokovic, the tennis player, Wow, it's amazing place. <laughs> and the atmosphere is amazing because everyone respects you. Everyone happy. Everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to make their dream come through. And, but I think as Israeli, it's a little bit different 
I tell you why, because after Munich. Oh my uh, God, happened? 1972? 1972, right? So we are under a lot of security. We have a lot of security guys. Every place we go, we go with security. We can't travel alone. So it's a little bit different compared to the other people from the other countries. But still have great memories from the Olympics. Everything is free. That's funny because when you think about high professional athletes, you don't think that they're going to eat McDonald's, right? <laughs> Definitely not. You know, but there is a crazy line. No like, way. Yes. And everyone eats McDonald's and everyone eats everything. And you get two cell phones, Samsung for the last time. It's amazing. So, so you get all kinds of freebies and you freebies get treated like royalty. What's interesting is that you also acknowledge that when you see a fellow Olympic athlete, there is a mutual respect right there. Exactly. Everybody knows you made it to this level. You are one yeah, of us. Exactly. Beginning, I was, wow, I'm so grateful to be in the Olympic Village. They built the Olympic Village four years ago before the Olympic Games. So it's crazy. But you know, at some point I told myself, okay, it's nice you're here, but you came here because you want to be an Olympic medalist. Yeah. It's not enough just to take a part in this beautiful event. And I think that's the difference between the medalists and the people who just compete in the Olympics, which is very nice, right? It's a huge achievement. But still, I wanted to win the medal so much. So at 12th of August, I woke up, I went to the mirror, and I told myself, today you're going to give everything you have, no matter what. And of course, I had fears. Of course, I was excited. I think I slept only three hours before. Oh, no. Wow. But I was strong enough to believe in myself. And be connect to my tools, to my balance, to the Hulk world, which I did like for the last two years before. I had my sports psychologist near to me and I felt ready. And I felt like I went to a war. I imagine. You know? It's battle time. It's battle time. You have to be ready. You have to be strong. You have to win for Israel. It's not like much more pressure. In Israel, everyone wants you to win. All of Israel was watching you. Everyone, everyone, like oh. 8 million. I know that everyone watched the TV back then. And I couldn't think about it because if I were thinking about it, I would die. You For know? sure. You have to focus on what you have to do now. Now I need to hold my Egyptian fighter and I need to throw him in my technique. I can't think about the people who watch me right now. That's the thing. When you know how to control your feelings control your thoughts, you can do everything, everything. So that's absolutely incredible. Thinking about when you're on a very high bridge, you just have to look ahead of you. If you look down, you'll get dizzy and you'll fall. And you were just looking at what was in front of you at this time. There's an old statement, you can drive across the United States at night, but you can only see about one kilometer in front of you because that's as exactly. far as you can see and that you just have to focus on what's in front of you. Don't think. In judo, sometimes one kilometer is even too much. You have to think about the meters. You have to see the meters. And Maybe even the millimeters. <laughs> millimeters, yeah. Because everything is happening so fast. Judo is five minutes fight. And people tell me, come on, it's not so hard. But they don't know what they're talking about. It's so hard. You lose the feelings in your arms and legs. Sometimes your vision goes black from all the effort of fighting. But again, if you want to win, You'll find a way. So I got to talk about this for a second, because we can talk about thinking under pressure and you can also have 200 heartbeats for a minute. 200 heartbeats for a minute is really, 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 really high. And 
in my high school, the mean boys would go to the poor kind of geeky weak boys and they would take their nipple, twist it 90 degrees and say, name three Japanese cars. They couldn't name one Japanese car at that moment. They couldn't think Toyota, Honda and Nissan. They couldn't do it, even though there are a lot of them. And I'm thinking it's very hard to think when your heartbeat is so high. How do you train yourself to be analytical when your heartbeat is racing so fast? Simulations, simulations. Talk about (laughs) simulations, bro. That's amazing. First of all, I'm not doing this alone, right? I have my coaches around me and my main coach, Oren Smudja, he was the first Olympic medalist in Israel. Wow, that's amazing. He's a great guy and he knows exactly what we need to do in order to get there. So as I said before, when we practice in judo, it's not only about just throwing someone on his back. It's about getting into this pressure, even searching for this pressure always, because you know that the more you feel pressure doing training, the better you'll be doing the competition. For example, what we do. So there is a very tough training. I'm standing in the middle of the mat and every minute per minute, someone different come and fighting against me and he's coming very fresh and I'm tired. I need to fight and fight. That's exactly the moment you build your resilience. Wait, hang on a second. Just for the visual, this almost sounds like a cartoon. So you're standing in the middle of the ring. And you're taking on one person after a time. And these guys are coming at you almost like tennis balls would come to a tennis player who's training just one after another and after another. That's the simulation? Exactly. Yes, that's the point. Oh my God, that is so crazy. But you know what? I love these situations because it shows me exactly where I am. Because if I was good in those tests, I knew I'm ready. So that's how you think doing pressure because you train for this and you do it day after day, day after day. So you hear your coach's advice during the fight training, and then you go to the competition and you know your brain is ready for this pressure. I'm so glad you shared that. I never imagined. So in the Olympics, you beat your Egyptian opponent. He refuses to shake your hand famously. This was very big. What was that like for you on the other side in judo where respect is so important? Here he refuses to shake your hand. I felt ashamed for him, especially for him, because I was hoping that he will act differently. You know, the Olympic Games is the biggest event. You're trying not to do mistakes. You're trying to respect the others. Judo is about respect. Respect your opponent, respect your coach, respect who you are. And when he refused to shake my hand, he actually hurt those values. And... I can say that for me, I did what I used to do always. I always shake my opponent's hand because this is what my coaches teach me since I was young. And when he refused, I said, okay, I tried. I knew that I did the right thing. He did the wrong thing. So I felt completely calm and I moved to the next level. And when he refused to shake my hand, all the crowd boos him. Mm. So I knew that I did the right thing. And was like a big issue here in Israel. Everyone talked about it, getting messages. Even a few days ago, I got a message from people from Egypt, people from Iran also, that they dislike what they did. And last year, I did judo seminar in New York. And people buy tickets and then they can enter the, through the seminar to judo seminar, which I'm showing my techniques and talking about my journey. And at the end of the seminar, Egyptian guy came to me 
and told me, Ori, I'm friend of your opponent from the Olympic Games. I practice with him in the national team of Egypt. And I just want to say that I'm sorry for him and I'm sorry for you. And he asked me and he shake my hand. And for me, it was the end of the story. Sports have to be out of politics. Doesn't belong. Ori, what is something that you wish everyone could think or do that would help their lives? With all of the things that you've learned, what's the one thing that you think would help people? It's going to sound very funny and maybe not serious, but try every day to make other people smile. Just try to be good. Try to be good to the other and the good will come to you. That's what I realized. If you're bad to people, if you're in a bad energy, it's not going to take you to the high levels, no matter what you choose to be. So first of all, be good, be consistent, work hard, take every opportunity to grow, even if you fail. Even if you fail, even if people laughing on you like Brené Brown, uh-huh. Love and her. she speaks about being brave and the meaning of being vulnerable and how being vulnerable can help you being brave. So I'm saying, don't be afraid to take challenges. Don't be afraid to show your emotions. Just go there and do your best. Everyone, as she said, everyone have their own arena, right? For sure. Not everyone competing in the Olympic Games, but everyone have challenges in life. So for my journey, I'm just saying, Go for it. We live only once. So be good, be consistent, work hard, and do everything to get your dreams. That's all. Ori, I love that. What a beautiful blessing. It's been such a pleasure getting to hang out with you and such an My honor. My pleasure, Adam. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I'm happy that we could make it. Me as well. This is Dr. Adam Dorsey thanking you for listening to Super Psyched. If you know anyone who might like it or who might benefit from listening, share it. And if you like the episode, please hit subscribe 